1: You may have hit a point where your obedience to God has waned a bit. Your love for Christ has cooled off. If that's the case, we invite you to stick around for the next few minutes as we study Galatians and come away with some encouragement and some answers. Next. you might go through times in your walk with Christ where you read the Bible every day. But then, well, you sort of veer off. You do your own thing. Well, Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, speaks on this. Yes, he doesn't think of it as a normal thing, but more in amazement. How can someone turn away from true happiness? Well, here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here today for this edition of Abounding Grace.
2: It may be that most of you here are real Christians. But your faith in Christ has become weak and confused. The joy you once had has eclipsed. Your obedience to God has waned, and your love for Christ has cooled. Your life of freedom in Christ has been interrupted. Well, Christians can experience temporary glitches and Lapses in their lives of freedom in Christ. But why does this happen? Paul tells us in verses 7 and 9, and I'm going to read them to you in just a moment. Because you can be a true Christian, and verses 5 and 6 can be a description of you, but you can have lapses in your faith in which you backslide. Why? Verses 7 through 9 give us the reason. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Now let's look at these three reasons mentioned here as to why some true Christians have temporary lapses and failures so that their love for Christ grows cold. First, in verse seven, sometimes. We allow ourselves to be hindered from obeying the truth. Paul says, you were running well, you started out well, but someone hindered you from obeying the truth. We experience lapses in the Christian life when we allow ourselves to be hindered from obeying the truth. The point of this verse is that it is possible to get off to a good start and living the Christian life, doing so with eagerness, with zeal and diligence in living for Christ and serving Him. You know, you, you can't get enough of Him or of Christian fellowship or of the Word of God and then something happens in your life and you allow yourself to be hindered or sidetracked for a time. From that eagerness and the zeal and that white heat that once described you when you were first converted. But when Paul considers such an experience of being sidetracked or hindered, he doesn't talk about it as if it were a normal thing. He doesn't say, all right, now Christians, this is going to be normal for you. Don't worry about it. There will be times when you will backslide. So don't worry about it. No, whenever Paul talks about it, he speaks with amazement. You were running so well. What in the world happened to you? How can this be? It is possible for someone to start off well and then be sidetracked and a backslide, but it certainly isn't normal. And it most certainly is irrational and inexcusable. Why would you allow yourself to be hindered from living such a glorious life of freedom and joy and love in Jesus Christ? How can a believer ever be tempted to leave the life of revealed truth and salvation from the living God? So you see, he says, don't think this is a normal thing. This is not normal. But you say, Well, I know several people where it seems to be normal for them. Well, then they may not be Christians at all. Paul says it happens. Sometimes you can start out well and have setbacks and become backslidden for a time. But even then, how it can happen is an amazement to Paul. Now, let's look at some of these words You allowed yourself to be hindered, sidetracked from obeying the truth. Let's first of all look at the word truth. Paul has spoken of truth of the gospel time and again throughout the book of Galatians and throughout really the rest of his writings. And when Paul speaks about the truth, he's speaking about divine verbal revelation that the Son of God gave him infallibly to transmit to the church of christ down through the centuries the lord jesus christ in his holy spirit inspired his apostles to write down without error everything that christ wanted the church to know on how to relate to god adding nothing to it and taking nothing away from it that is what the truth is truth is divine revelation in words and sentences in the Bible that we can understand. It is the truth of the gospel. It is what God has given us through Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to know how to be rightly related to him. It's not something that Paul made up. It's not simply a consensus of opinion of religious people and then Paul recorded that consensus. Paul said time and again, What I am writing did not originate with me. He said over in chapter 1, verse 11, You know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The truth is what the resurrected Christ, the divine Christ, verbally told Paul to write down With the Holy Spirit keeping it from error, so that God's people throughout the centuries would have an infallible record as how to be rightly related to God and how to live for Him. Now, He speaks about obeying the truth. Isn't that an interesting way for Him to speak? Now, you believe the truth, you understand the truth but we don't often, because of being more influenced by the Greeks rather than the Hebrews, speak of obeying the truth. Oh, believe it, apply it, but obey it. And the point here is that the revelation that God has given Paul and the other writers of the Bible tells us not only how to live, but what to believe, and we are to obey both. It tells us to live in a way that's pleasing to God, And what it is we are to believe, what opinions we are to hold, how we are to look at life, how we are to look at ourselves and understand life in this world. That is truth. It is truth that has to do with what goes on in your mind. It is truth that has to do with your behavior. That in the Bible God tells his people what to believe and how we are to live and how we are to obey the truth. In other words, doctrines and ethics. Doctrines are indicative statements about God's character, what God is like, and what His will is toward us. Ethics are the imperative of Scripture, what God commands of us, what God demands us to do as we live as His creatures in His sight. And one of the main differences of Christian ethics or moral standards from all other religions is that our ethics are not pragmatic. (coughs) Our ethics are based on doctrine. Our ethics are not simply a manual, a code of what's right and what's wrong, and, you know, you just check off the rights and the wrongs down the list. Our ethics and our moral principles are drawn from Doctrine. What we are commanded by God to do is based upon what and who God is. How are we to live in this world is dependent upon what God says about this world. Doctrine. And whether it is doctrine, learning how to think correctly about God and about this life and about ourselves, or whether it is ethics, doing, thinking, being what God demands his creatures to be. We are to obey the truth. You see, the point Paul is making in talking about obeying the truth is that the truth isn't exclusively an intellectual thing. That is what the Greeks thought. That truth is something fun to talk about. It's fun to talk about logic and philosophy and try to work out and debate all these various philosophical, epistemological, metaphysical problems. So, to them, the truth was an intellectual thing. That's actually a fault of some Calvinist brothers, especially when they just begin to understand the Reformed faith. They treat it as an intellectual thing. If you, you know, you dot all the theological I's and you cross all the theological T's more consistent than anyone else, you probably are bound to be a Christian. Well, some of the most immature people that I know would get an A on a theological test on Calvinism, but it is not just an intellectual thing. Oh, it is that, but it is also something that manifests itself in our lives So that when we obey the truth, that truth determines the whole of our attitude and life in this world. It doesn't simply mean that we cannot argue other people. But it means we are thinking straight about things because we are thinking God's thoughts after Him. We are looking at life through the revelation that God gave Paul in the Holy Scripture as well as to the rest of the writers of Scripture. And that revelation determines everything else we are going to think and determines how we are going to relate to each other and how we are going to live in this world. In the Bible, there are several verbs connected to the word truth. In the Bible, we are said to believe the truth, believe the truth because God has set it forth as something in black and white to be believed. We are to practice the truth, that is to apply it and seek to make decisions by it and to live out our lives in consistency with what that truth is. Here in Galatians 5, we're told to obey the truth mentally and ethically. We are told in Ephesians to speak the truth, to not be afraid to speak it, as long as we do it with love. The truth that God has revealed in the gospel, the only truth there is. And in John 8, we are told to know the truth, not just know it intellectually, but in the Old Testament sense of the word, to know it and love it so that it consumes us. Does it consume you? Now, what do all these various things presuppose? We are to believe the truth. We are to practice the truth. We are to obey the truth. We are to speak the truth. We are to know the truth. What does all of this presuppose? And this is the difference in this world between us as Christians and everyone else. It presupposes two things. Number one, there is such a thing as truth. That's the first thing. There is a true way of looking at life. There is a true understanding of yourself. There is a true doctrine of God. There is a true system of ethics. There is a true gospel. There is such a thing as meaning and truth in the universe. It's not just one big chaotic mess. There is such a thing as truth. That's the first presupposition. And you are called upon God to believe it, to know it, and to obey it, and to practice it. The other presupposition is that truth has been revealed to us by God. What good is truth going to do for you if it is outside there somewhere beyond Jupiter and you don't know anything about it? There is not only a true view of life and of the world and of God, but God has told us that truth. He has revealed to us a true understanding of everything. And it is at the heart of the true gospel. Now, beloved, if you believe those two things, they are the most offensive things you can believe in the 21st century. Because we live in an age that disagrees with us on both levels, on both of these issues. For instance, the modernist or the rationalists are people who would agree with us on the fact that there is something such as the truth. There is a true way of looking at life. There is a true system of ethics. There is a true view of yourself. But where they would disagree with us, they would disagree with us by saying the truth has not been revealed. You have to obtain it by reason because your reason is competent that is why you must get the best education you can because your ability to reason and your experience are competent to determine what is true and you don't need some alleged revelation from some obscure god so the modernists would agree with us that there is such a thing as truth but they would disagree with us on how that truth is known They say by reason. We say by revelation. Now, why are they dead wrong? It is because their reason has fallen. God has given us reason as a tool to help us understand life in terms of the Bible. But God never meant for our reason to be our standard and our source of truth. Man's reason is only finite. It is fallen in an absolutely unreliable guide for life. And that is why we need the objective light of the Word of God and the subjective illumination of the Holy Spirit cleaning up in our minds what sin has broken. But then we have some other people who disagree with us on both accounts and they are the postmodernists. Your kids are going to be going into postmodernist colleges, Christian and otherwise. And most of the people your children are going to grow up are no longer modernist. Modernists are mostly found back in the 20th century, and they have lost their positions of influence now in institutions of higher education. So there is a whole new way of looking at life. And you have got to understand this because the postmodern way of looking at things goes like this. Christians, we disagree with you on both accounts. We don't believe that there is any revelation from God that must be used to understand life because there is nothing to understand about life. We don't believe there is anything such as truth There is no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as meaning. There's no such thing as your identity as an individual. There's nothing underneath any of this. Everything is on the surface. And everything in life, whether it is personal relationships or politics, is a power play. There's no truth. There's no meaning. There's no moral absolutes. So the only thing there is left Is for me to impose my will on you to get you to do what I want you to do before you get me to do what I want you to do. Everything is a power play. Everything and might makes right. But in the face of the modernist and the postmodernist, the Christian obeys the truth. Because he knows there is a truth. Because God has persuaded him of that. And he knows that God has revealed that truth in Scripture. And God has also persuaded him of that as well. So we have lapses and glitches in our lives as Christians. When we allow ourselves to be hindered from obeying the truth. By doubting it is there. By doubting that there is such a thing. By doubting that even if it is the word of God. Can it really be understood by us? Now, how is it that we as Christians can somehow allow ourselves to be hindered from obeying the word of God? How is that possible? Well, verse 8 tells us, This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. This persuasion that hinders some from the truth to follow the false gospel of the Judaizers did not come from him Who calls you? So how is it that we sometimes allow ourselves to be hindered from obeying the truth? It is because of listening to and allowing ourselves to be persuaded by other voices than God's voice in the Bible. Look back at Galatians 1. You see what Paul is getting at. Chapter 1. Verse 6. Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Now he brings it up again here in verse 8. He says, You are being persuaded to leave the one who not only called you, but continues to call you to himself. And that is because the calling of God is irrevocable, my friends. In other words, the Galatian Christians were allowing themselves to be drawn away from God's voice and the apostles by the voices of the Judaizers. And what is worse, these Christians in Galatia were beginning to say yes to Satan's voice through the Judaizers, distortion of the gospel, and say no to God. In other words, Paul was reminding his readers of their conversion, he says, do you remember back when you were converted, when I was the pastor of your church there, and I was preaching the gospel to you, and you heard God's irresistible, invincible call to follow Him, and you were brought to Him by faith in Christ, and in obedience to the gospel? Do you remember when you heard God's voice? Not audibly, but in a way only your heart could hear. Do you remember When God called you out of darkness into his light and made you his child. Well, now you're not listening to new. Now you are now. Now you are listening to new voices. Not to the voice of the one who called you. who Speaks through me, says Paul. That is through the scripture. But now you're listening to new voices. In fact, you're not merely listening to new voices or exchanging God's voice for man's voice. But in doing this, you are on the road to apostasy from the voice of God. In allowing yourself to be persuaded by voices other than the voice of God in Scripture, and this may be the farthest thing from your mind, but you are on the road to apostasy, to the full abandonment of the Christian faith. Once you start listening to other voices competing with the voice of the Word of God in Scripture, You put yourself on a road that unless you recover quickly, that road will take you to total abandonment of the Christian faith. And you may not think it is. It may be the last thought in your mind, but it will. So the lesson we must learn is that this culture we live in is full of false voices trying to call you and me away from God's voice. And they're powerful voices, persuasive voices, eloquent and educated voices, convincing voices that you may not be able to refute. And these pervasive voices come not from God but from man. And they are persuasive and convincing to those who either want to be seduced from God or who are not familiar enough with God's voice because of their neglect of his word.